Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at verses 9 through 27 this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin. Hopefully you grabbed one of those on your way in. It'll help you through the whole worship service, and it's got the sermon text in it right there. Um, so, I grew up in the Portland area, uh, but mostly in the suburbs. I've uh, always appreciated the outdoors, the beach, uh, the, the mountains, the rivers, just even dr- driving through the sparsely, you know, sparsely populated countryside or being out here uh, like this. Uh, my experience with actual cities and with city life was uh, extremely limited, uh, at least before college. Uh, every once in a while, uh, I would remember we'd drive down in, in downtown Portland, and it always felt a bit overwhelming, a bit disturbing. Uh, all the traffic, all the confused uh, one-way streets didn't make any sense to me why you would have one-way streets all over the place. It's so easy to get lost, so hard to get where you're going, so hard to find a place to park. Um, walking past so many strange people, right? It's, it's a different experience, uh, and I didn't have much appreciation for cities, and, and Portland's a relatively small city, right? So when I would see a big city, say, in a television show or uh, in a movie, it would seem much worse, Right? Um, all the dark corners and alleys, all the crime, all the concrete and metal stretching on for miles, inescapable places, these cities, where it's hard to make a living. No fresh air, no green spaces, places where children grow up, never having been to the beach or the mountains. Can you imagine it? It's, uh, no thanks, right? Um, so with that uh, sort of prejudice toward large, city, large cities uh, sort of embedded in me, Imagine my surprise when I eventually visited great big cities like Paris or London or Chicago or New York. There is so much to appreciate about these places that I never would have imagined before, that I was probably resistant to before, right? There's so much energy and vibrancy. There's so much interesting history and architecture and beauty. Just walking down the streets of these places can put a a bounce in your step, literally, maybe surprisingly. Above all, as Tim Keller says, cities have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else. Because there's lots of people in cities, people who are made in God's image. There's lots of people in cities. So there's more image of God there to appreciate and to wonder at in cities than anywhere else in the world. So we might have had all kinds of bad experiences with cities in this world that give us apprehension or suspicion about the goodness of cities. Can they really be good? But the Bible holds forth the city as a picture of our blessed future with God. That's what our passage is about. One city, in particular, has been the, the picture of God's blessing, the picture, picture of God's restoration of the world. The city that's always been intended to be at the heart of God's kingdom on earth. And that city is throughout the scriptures, it's Jerusalem. It's, that means the city of peace, Jerusalem. In Revelation, the Lord Jesus gives us a vision of the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the holy city, the beloved city, as the ultimate and most glorious thing that God is doing in all of his creation. So if you belong to Jesus, then this city is your destiny. And whatever you think about cities in general, this city, the New Jerusalem, is absolutely the place to be, and you're going to love it. Let's talk about it from this scripture. I'll pray first, then we'll read it. 
Father, we thank you for the blessing of being able to read your word. We thank you for the blessing of being able to ask you to help us to understand it. Please help us now as we consider your word together. Because of your great love for your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 21, starting in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, that's the thickness, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb." By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in the scheme of the book of Revelation... We've arrived here at a vision of what takes place after the end, so to speak, at the new beginning of all things. This is ultimately a vision of the future of what it'll be like when God makes all things new. It's a picture of our life together in the new heaven and new earth. And our vision is absolutely filled with this city, the New Jerusalem. And I mean that almost literally. The New Jerusalem is so big that it commands the view. It it fills your vision. It cannot be ignored. It's so big. It's 12,000 stadia long, wide, and high. 12,000 stadia, that's a cube, 
where each side is about 1,400 miles long. Each direction. For reference, <clears throat> a Borg cube is only about two miles across. <laughs> you know those gigantic spaceships that they encounter in uh, space. That's a Star Trek reference. Uh, for the rest of you, you know, in Star Wars, when Luke and company are in space and they're first approaching the Death Star and they mistake it for a small moon, well, the Death Star was probably supposed to be only about 100 miles across. Right? In real life, 1,400 miles in each direction, the new Jerusalem would cover half the United States, the area, and it would tower five times higher than the orbit of the International Space Station. In fact, the New Jerusalem is about two-thirds the diameter of the actual moon. So, but it's no moon. It's an unimaginably vast city. And it's inconceivably beautiful. It's a city of pure gold. There's not enough gold in the world to make this city, right? But it, it's symbolic. It's a city of pure gold. It's, it's polished to crystal clear with gemstones adorning its mighty foundations with gigantic pearls for gates. <clears throat> The New Jerusalem is portrayed here in this vision as overwhelmingly large and dazzling beyond comprehension, not to make you anxious about how big it is, not to put you off by how uh, gaudy, pretentious, or opulent it is, right? It's, it's meant to take your breath away with the grandeur of it. It truly is the most glorious place. There's no question about it. This city, this New Jerusalem, is the most glorious place. <clears throat> now, it isn't really practical... To land a golden city the size of a small moon anywhere on this planet. Right? It's not practical. This city is symbolic. The city is symbolic in every impressive detail. It's, it's not necessarily a description of the literal architecture of a, a physical city. It's the description of a people using architectural terms. This city is the special people of God. The city is the bride of the Lamb. The city is the, it's the holy citizenry of heaven, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's described in such terms. She's portrayed as this city because the people of God, is, it, it's a corporate reality, like a city. The Bible portrays eternity as the communion of persons, not as a sparsely populated nature scene where people really are sort of leaving each other alone and have agreed to do that. The New Jerusalem is a community because her triune God is a community. So that's not to say there will never be a time for solitude in eternity, uh, but if you hate the very idea of being surrounded by people in a city, then you might not love what God is doing in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a place for all kinds of people to come together for life with God. She's all glorious. She's secure. She is welcoming. She's precious to God and beautiful. The New Jerusalem is the special people of God who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, made beautifully holy through their relationship with Him. This city is what uh, the scriptures say Abraham was looking for. It says in Hebrews 11, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God is the supreme city planner. God is the architect of the New Jerusalem, and his building materials, so to speak, are people like us. 
people just like us. Throughout the history of redemption, God has worked with people just like us to form this new city. Early on, it was the uh, the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, the special people who were chosen to be a blessing to all nations, the special people who were chosen out of the world to be a blessing to all the world, to make the world new. The number 12 then, 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, the number 12 has this symbolic significance. It came to represent the people of God, the new people of God. And these 12 tribes of Israel were symbolized by 12 gemstones, corresponding to the gemstones that we see here adorning the city foundations. These gemstones were worn on the breastplate of the high priest of Israel as he went into the temple for fellowship with God on behalf of the people. The gemstones, I get this uh, insight here from uh, Peter Lightheart, who has a a long but good commentary on uh, Revelation. The gemstones, they're, they're from the earth. Like human beings are from the earth. God made man out of the earth. We're taken from the humus. That's where that word human comes from. Dirt. We're formed from the dirt. These gemstones come from the dirt, but they're precious. They're precious stones. They're not dull. They're earth on fire. They're like stars dug out of the ground. Like humanity made from earth, made from mud, made from the clay, but baptized by the anointed one with the fire of the Holy Spirit. So when Christ came into the world, he chose 12. He chose 12 disciples, 12 apostles to become this new people to carry his blessing to the corners of the earth, even to those who are not of Israelite descent, to carry his blessing to all the world. This was always God's original intention for the original 12 and for the, the original Jerusalem to make his people a place of blessing of all nations. But they turned aside from God's purpose and they carried God's Messiah outside the city and they crucified him. So now God has a new Jerusalem to fulfill that original purpose of the old Jerusalem, to bless the world, to be a place for salvation for all the nations. It's a heavenly city, this new Jerusalem. It's a spiritual city. It's made up of those who belong to Jesus. And now the nations are streaming in through the open gates of the city. In fact, the gates themselves represent, uh, represent the Gentile nations. Not Jewish believers in particular, but Gentile believers in particular. Each each gate is a great pearl. So biology lesson. Pearls, they look like little stones or jewels, right? But they're grown inside of shelled mollusks like oysters. Pearls come from the sea. They're these living stones that come from the sea. Pearls come from sea creatures that, according to the Old Testament, were unclean and detestable. You would detest even the carcass of a sea creature if it didn't have fins like a fish, right? And in Revelation, all this suggests to us the sea represents the the Gentile nations. Throughout the book of Revelation, the sea represents the Gentile nations. So the gemstones that are adorning the foundations of the city are jewels from the earth that represent ethnic Israel. The pearls that form the gates of the city are jewels from the sea that represent the rest of us, the Gentiles, right? 
They're, they're living iridescent stones that reflect the light of God's glory. So pearly gates, maybe you've heard all the jokes about Peter standing at, per, at the pearly gates, and what are you going to say when you get there? They're not just pretty. It's not just a way of saying they're beautiful. It's a way of saying that the main avenues leading into the New Jerusalem, into the city of God, into the church, pass through the gates of the Gentiles, the nations, all of us now. It's a way of saying that any and all kinds of people in the church can, can be gateways into the life of the community of God. Any and all kinds of people in the church can be points of connection, points of contact, points of gospel proclamation, points of hospitality and welcome into God's new Jerusalem. And these gates are wide open all the time. The nations are streaming in, bringing the glory of who they are along with them. So what's this glory? Um, well, the, the 12 sons of Jacob, they were pretty much boneheads. The 12 disciples of Jesus, they were pretty much boneheads. And uh, everybody else in the church is pretty much bonehead too. All of us. We're sinners of various stripes. But the one thing that we've all got in common is that God has overthrown our rebellion against himself by his love. By his sacrificial love. We've been drawn together by the love of Christ. We've been made new by the love of Christ. We all come from different places. We all come from different times and cultures and family backgrounds. We all look different. And we've all got stories about how God's love has intersected with our lives. A wealth of stories about how God's love has intersected with each of our lives. We're all people who've been humbled in various ways by God's word. We're all people who couldn't help but be attracted to Jesus for different reasons. We're all people who have thrown ourselves on him for his mercy. We're all sinners made saints. We're all forgiven by the grace of God. We're all people who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in various ways. A wealth of different ways. As a new community, the glorious thing about us is that God has built us together on the firm foundation of the apostles, that is, on their word, on the gospel of Jesus that they proclaim, on what they have to say about Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with him. We're built on that. In Christ, we are united. Even though we're this diverse, ragtag bunch, we are united. So it makes this golden bridal city so beautiful is the love of God that unites people like us of all kinds in an intimate union with himself in a marriage we're not each of us spiritually beautiful in and of ourselves we're spiritually beautiful because God has set his great love upon us because the bridegroom has laid down his life for us because the spirit of God fills up this city. This city, this community, this new Jerusalem is our eternal future. That's what's pictured here. It's, it's the future. It's eternity for us. But it's also descending. It's also seen as descending from heaven to earth. Even now, it's descending from heaven to earth. 
Hebrews 12 says that you've already come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians 4 says that the Jerusalem above is our mother. We have our citizenship, our participation in a city. We have it in heaven. The city is not only a future reality, it's breaking into this world through its citizenship, through the church. When you look at us right now, we might not strike anyone as, as impressive as this city is portrayed. We're probably not going to strike anyone that way. <clears throat> but this is the revelation of our Lord. This is how He sees it. This is how He wants us to see it. We are majestic and precious and glorious in God's sight because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, because of our dependence on His Word. We are this new community made up of sinners from all nations, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, united by the glory of the Spirit, brought into God's presence together as a gift of His grace. And that's the most important, most wonderful feature of this city. It's the place where God's glory dwells. It's the eternal temple, so to speak. Right, there's, it says in verse 22, there's no temple in the city. John doesn't see one in this vision, which is a very strange fact. In the ancient world, every city had its temples, its special places of worship, where the gods were said to dwell. In the old Jerusalem, the temple of Yahweh was that place where the one true God would meet with his people. But it was limited. It was limited to God meeting with the high priest once a year in the most holy place, in the heart of the temple. The most holy place was cube-shaped and everything was covered in gold. The new Jerusalem is cube-shaped and made of gold. The entire city is the most holy place where people have immediate access to God and live with God together. And again, this is a gift. This is a gift of God's grace the Lord Jesus was carried outside the old Jerusalem and killed so that we might be brought inside. We might have access to God in the new Jerusalem forever. And this access, this full and free participation in the life of God is so wonderful. It's actually confusing that the vision doesn't just say that the city is the temple. I saw no city, no, no temple in the city because the city was the temple. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the, the city is the place where God dwells with his people. John writes, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And this means that the triune God has opened himself up to us in such a way that his own life, his own glory, his own being, his own love is our dwelling place. It's our dwelling place. In this world, people build temples for gods. Our God, the one true and living God, has honored us in such a way that He's not only built a temple for us, He's made Himself a temple for us. We will live in Him forever. We do live in Him, even now, by faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ, and among His people, is the only place for this eternal life with God. In Christ and among His people is the only place for redemption from our sins. It's the only place for hope and welcome for the nations. The New Jerusalem, the city of uh, peace, is the place to, to be. The church is the place to, to be.
because of the love of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this vision of eternity in a giant city filled with all kinds of people, it's good because it reflects who you are as a God of community, a God of communion. It can be hard for us because we're so different from you. Often we're opposed to you and to the idea of life together with you and others. So we pray that you teach us to expect and hope for what you have promised. Make us the kind of people who will delight to live in the New Jerusalem. It's hard for us to imagine your people being so glorious as a golden city descending from heaven. We pray that you would teach us to see things the way you see them. Teach us to love what you love, to love what you are doing in the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.